Good morning, church. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, We really do believe that we should be connected more than just what's happening here on the weekends, Saturdays, and on Sundays. Uh, We really do believe that we should meet weekly with a small group of people uh, to do life together. Um, I'm leading a group every Friday, and uh, at first when I started leading a group, I was really, really kind of timid about it. I didn't know how it would go because my focus for the past five years has been on 6th through 12th grade, and I didn't know how I would do leading adults, but um, I am, I'm really thriving with this group personally from a personal standpoint in my own faith, and I know that some of our group members are as well, and I can't begin to tell you the stories that have come from some of these groups um, in every group this meeting, whether it's the women's group, the men's group, uh, the, even the Zoom group has met since COVID, and they're still going strong meeting every Tuesday, so get connected in a group. And if you have any questions about that, go to guest services before you leave today. And if you're online, just comment groups uh, in the comment section on this live stream, and we'll be sure to reach out to you this week. We need a couple more things for this uh, man bucket outreach over here. Some of you brought stuff in this morning, and that's great. There's popcorn over here. Uh, There's some uh, older tools over here that some older guys might enjoy, some flashlights, other things as well. Beef jerky is in that bucket. Uh, There's a list on the screen you can bring in. Uh, Next weekend is the last week to bring those in, but we will be in the office Monday through Friday of this week, 8.30 to 5.30, if you'd like to bring some stuff in. Those are just a couple of ideas, and there's the same thing over here if you missed it. You can go to this table, take a picture of it, and uh, save it to your phone. And uh, just bring stuff in this week, bring stuff in next weekend, and uh, let's bless some of the men in our community this Thanksgiving. Uh, Help us with that. We're in a series called Momentum. We're in week two. Uh, We're talking about how do we make a difference in our community, and it starts by showing that we really do care about people. Let's go ahead and get started. All right, we're going to talk about momentum and getting from where you are to where you really want to be, and uh, we're going to do that together. So find a Bible, Acts, Bible, uh, Acts of the Apostles, story of the church, the early church that Jesus started, and we're in chapter 11. I'm going to review a little bit of this uh, uh, series with you. I'm going to give you a little context, but uh, I'm going to try to give you a little set up here. I want you to begin thinking with me how we can really make a difference with people who are not just exactly like us. Maybe the color of your face is different. Maybe you're Caucasian, maybe you're African American, maybe you're Asian descent. How do we get along with people that didn't grow up in Harrison County, small community, how do we get along? How do we, how do we build community in our community that, with people that don't have the same social, economic benefits, maybe, that you and I do? Yeah, I'll step down for a second. Man, i got so many things on my mind, I don't even know where to start. So, uh, it's okay to not be okay. Just don't stay there. That's, that's what I'm saying. Some of us don't have enough money. 
Some of us need a doctor. Some of us need a friend. It's okay. God, God is with us. God gets, God gets it. We can make a difference. God is making a difference. It turns out that church really is vital. It is a place that you can find hope again. You are not hopeless. I don't care what's going on. I don't care how bad it is. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay. God hasn't stopped loving you. Just hang on. Just don't stay there. Let God work with you. All right, so I was traveling this week. Before we get to Acts chapter 11, I was traveling this week, and I, uh, I, I was in an airport, car rental place. Uh, I was doing a wedding in Dallas. And uh, to tell you the truth, it took me longer to get a car rental at the car rental center at uh, DFW than it did to fly to Dallas. I got, in, I got out of the shuttle bus from the airport, and I went inside. And uh, at DFW, they've got all the car rental places in one building. And, you know, you got Hertz and Avis and Budget and, I don't know, 15 other car rental places. But, man, when I jumped off the shuttle bus, I looked around and I was like, wow, what's going on? There's like 25, 30 people in every line of every car rental place that I could see. So uh, I thought, that's not good. I stood in line probably 40 minutes. I had a reservation. I stood in line probably 40 minutes with these other people just to get to the counter. 40, 45 minutes. When I got to the counter, gave him a credit card, said uh, who I was, showed him my identification, gave him my driver's license, and he finally filled out the paperwork and said, okay, take a seat. That was a red flag. Take a seat, and we'll have your car in 15 or 20 minutes. I'm like thinking, wow, what is going on? So I sat down, and 40, 45 minutes later, the guy finally returns. He went, He disappeared like he was gone. And he comes back inside. And so while I'm waiting now an hour and a half at the car rental place, which I thought would be about 10 or 15 minutes, and I'd be gone, I, I listened to other people who had stories as well, and they were all like, what's happening? What's, what's going on here? Where are the cars at? We've reserved a car. And I just noticed that people were jumping out of line and going from one agency to another agency. Do you have any cars? And it's like kind of, you know, chaos. It's chaotic. I'm thinking, what's going on at DFW, one of the largest airports in the world? And uh, finally, the guy who was helping me, he shouted out and said, we're, we're not out of cars. We just don't have them at the airport. We're not going to run out of cars. We just need to find drivers to get them to the airport where you've rented your car. So there are not enough people working who are just driving rental cars from the car wash or the oil change or the tire repair or wherever they were dropped off in the DFW area. There's not enough drivers to keep up the pace of how many people need a car, and they can't get people to come to work to drive the car to the airport. <laughs> so we're without cars. And I'm thinking, what a day to come to Dallas. And I looked up, and beside me was a little lady, blonde hair, blue eyes, probably 25, 26 years old, 27. And she had two little boys, five and seven, and 
I was setting two chairs between them, and I wasn't trying to be nosy, but I knew I was having a bad day. I wondered how their day was going, and I began to watch and listen. And, you know, they just about had enough. The one little fellow was about to choke the other little fellow to death, had a big had a big arm around one's neck, and Mom was trying to pull them apart. They had those booster seats, you know, that they had to bring with them because they were renting. A, so they had carried it on the plane, and now they were sitting and trying to stack them on each other, and they were falling all over the place. And I mean, you can just begin to see this picture about two little guys, five and seven, that were in meltdown. And so I asked the mom, I said, where are you all from? To break the ice, and she said, from Vermont. And I said, I bet you all got up pretty early this morning. I said, I got up at 4 a.m. this morning myself. She said, yeah, it was before daylight, and they haven't eaten, and they're really tired, and they're just about done. And so was she. And I did my best. I didn't have a car. I would have given her mine if I could have. I didn't have a car. But I did smile, and I did tell her I understand, and I did try to maybe soften the blow. All of us can do something. And you can make a difference, guys. All of us can do something. You may not have what they really need that's going to fix everything, but everybody can do something for someone else who you've never met. You just got to decide to speak up and try. Break the ice. Help some other human being who's having a hard day. Building a little bit of community in your community, and sometimes it's at the car rental place at an airport where nobody's got a car and everybody's kind of having a bad day. Well, see if you can pick the family that's having the worst day and see if you can encourage them a little bit. Church really is vital. It's a place that we can find role models and we can find some uh, experience. We can find some balance in our life. Church really is a place to have fun. And it's also a place to find some hope. Say hope. It is a place to find some hope. Building community, engaging with people with different social status is one of the ways that we're trying in our community to uh, be nice. Trying to somehow build a bridge where people have uncertain economic situations, maybe are underemployed themselves, how can we do that at Journey Church in our small community? How can we build community and show that we care? I'm going to guide you through a couple of ways that it works for us, and maybe it'll work for you wherever you live or wherever you work or whoever's watching online or whatever place or city that you're flying to, and you meet some poor family that's stranded, and somehow you might want to choose to do something. So I'm going to give you an outline. It's not very long. I'm going to give you a few verses, only three. But I hope this makes a difference because that's what you're supposed to be doing, guys. You're supposed to be the church. You're supposed to be followers of Jesus. You're supposed to really make a difference in someone else's life. And if you're only focused on your misery, it's pretty hard to do that. And so you've got to look around the room and see who it is that you might help that might have it even worse than you do. And I was feeling pretty sad for myself that I was waiting all that time to get my rental car until I saw a mom with two little boys that were about to kill each other. And then I didn't think about my car at all. I was just happy that I didn't have two little boys who were ready to kill themselves. 
So let's do this. Let's look at Acts chapter 11. Let me give you a couple of things that I find in this story. I'll give you a little context. What it really looks like. What the church should look like. Here's the first idea. It turns out, when you look at the Bible and you listen to God, the truth is sometimes life's going to deal us a really bad hand. All right. That's pretty important to think about right there. Some of you have had a really bad hand dealt to you, and it might not have been anything to do with your choices or decisions, but it did happen. Some of you some of you have cancer and you can't fix it. You've already had surgery and you've already done treatment, but you got something that's changed your health forever. Some of you've lost your spouse and they're not coming back. You weren't prepared for that. You didn't know it was going to happen. You didn't have a date on the calendar. You do now. You got the date when they left, and they can't return until you go and meet them in heaven. Some of you have had some things happen in your life. You lost a job. You lost a friend. You lost some income. You lost your retirement. The, the stock market. Something. All of us have something that happened. And the story that I'm reading in Acts chapter 11 is a part of the story that's our story. And so how do we hang on and not lose hope? I think we, we figured this out together, and really the church is vital because it helps us find our hope again. And uh, I'm going to give you two thoughts that this is the first one. Just realize that even good people sometimes, even the best people, they get a really bad hand. Say amen. I hope you believe that. You can't avoid it, guys. You live in a world that's broken. And we as people are sometimes broken ourselves, and sometimes we just get a really bad hand. Look at, look at verse 27. Let's start there. How do we build community in our community and show that we really care? Let's start there. Sometimes people that have a really bad hand. <clears throat> during this time, verse 27, during this time some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus. You either read it on the screen or you listen as I read it or you're going to miss this. Here's, here's the context. Here's the Bible context for people like us who are not okay. It's okay not to be okay. Just don't stay that way. It's, it's a story for us today who have lost hope and think I'm not going to make it through this. Hang on, let's read it. Let's imagine ourselves in the story that we're reading. Verse 27, prophets come down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit, big S, Holy Spirit of God, predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. All right, let me give you a little relevant context for verse 27, during this time, what time? What time did this prophet Agabus say, we're all going to run out of food? When did this happen? This is a time in the early church, the first century church in the book of Acts that I, I introduced to you last week was an amazing moment of opportunity, of momentum, getting from where I am to where I want to be. And so in Acts chapter 2, the first time the apostles stood up in Jerusalem and they preached the message that Jesus really is the way. 
the only way. And Jesus really is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus really did die on a cross, but he's not dead anymore. And so the first time that that message got preached in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people said, I'm in. What can I do? What should I do? How do I make this better? How do I surrender? And 3,000 people, Acts chapter 2, are baptized. Like a couple of weeks ago, we baptized a family over here sitting on the left, and some of others of you are still talking and studying about baptism yourselves by immersion by your own choice, by your own decision, recognizing that nobody else can do this for me. This is a decision that I have to make for, my, for myself. And so 3,000 people in Acts chapter 2 made a decision. By the time we get to Acts chapter 4, there's 5,000 that make the same decision. And so the church grows rapidly and has great momentum. Probably eight to 10,000 people now are in the church that Jesus started. They don't have a building. They don't even have a preacher. They've got prophets and they've got apostles, but they don't have a local place to meet and they're gathering all over the city of Jerusalem by the thousands. That's how it got started. It got started off with great opportunity and tremendous momentum. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, but by the time you get to Acts chapter 7, persecution arises. We had an argument. The honeymoon's over. We ate the cake. What's left in the freezer don't taste very good anymore. And so the religious insiders began telling the Jesus followers, quit talking about Jesus. You're stirring up a controversy. We don't want you to do that anymore. And the Jesus followers who had seen Jesus raised from the dead said, we can't stop talking about him. It's a miracle. He is alive. And so the first Jesus follower, Acts chapter 7, who dies is Stephen. Because the religious persecution got so intense, they gathered around him and threw stones and rocks until they killed him dead. The church got started by the hundreds and the thousands, joy and celebration and excitement. But by the time a few chapters later in the book of Acts, the history of the church arrives, you have people that are really divided. Maybe you're divided right now. You're not on the same page. You don't see eye to eye. You're not sharing your money the way that you really could. You're not making family decisions the way that you really ought to. Maybe right now, life's dealt you a really bad hand, and you're not really sure how you're going to get out of this. You're not really sure how you're going to straighten this out. And maybe there's some confusion right now in your life like there was in the early church. And so by the time that you get to this point in the Bible that I'm reading today, where Acts chapter 11, there's been this kind of persecution, the next thing that happens is, this prophet begins to speak like the bad news bear, the bad news bears, and he begins speaking about a period that is coming when it's not very good, like the bad news bears, speaking about a time when we're all going to be out of food and you're going to be looking for a biscuit to eat. And so a little context about who you should believe and trust when somebody tells you that something might happen, something's probably going to happen that you should prepare for. There are three kinds of leaders that were in the early church that Jesus started. 
One was an apostle, and they were, they were gifted to preach about Jesus and establish new churches. Another was an elder who was to pray and teach and build the structure of the church. And finally, there was the prophet in the Bible who was skilled and gifted in the area of forth-telling and truth-telling. They were a predictor of the future, and they were a pronouncement. They would pronounce uh, what was God's actions, what was God's voice. So in verse 27, Agabus fits into this category of you better listen to this guy because God gave him this message, and he is a prophet. And he says we're about to have a severe famine. And so verse 27, Agabus, like the bad news bears, predicts coming famine and he warns everybody what is ahead. Now, the reason I give you that context is I want to ask you this question. Somebody warned you. Could have been me. Could have been your small group leader. It could have been your mom or dad. Your grandmother, grandfather. Could have been a coworker. Some of us found our, find ourselves in a pickle. We, we feel like life's really given us a bad hand, dealt us a really bad hand. And maybe it has. Maybe it's not your fault. Maybe it's someone else's fault. But I'm just saying, usually in the Bible and in your life and my life, somebody comes along that represents God, that gives us some kind of signal. God sends Agabus, probably God sent somebody to warn you that if you continue doing, going down that path, making those kind of decisions, being that arrogant and that stubborn, probably you're going to run out of whatever it is, peace, peace on earth, I don't know, money, I don't know, friends, could be. God usually gives us a signal, and in the Bible, it's all, it all happened often with either the preacher or the elder or the prophet. And history suggests, when you look at the context that we're reading in verse 27, that this particular famine was so severe and it was widespread during the reign of Claudius, you can actually Google Claudius the Roman ruler, and you can actually discover there was a famine. I'm not just making this up. And so verse 27 and 28, in A.D. 41 until A.D. 54, it wasn't just for a couple of months. Some of you think, oh, it'll be okay. I'll, I'll take care of this in a couple of months. I'll just take an extra job. What if it happened that this lingered for a decade or longer or for years? And you couldn't make it any better. It only got worse. It began to affect everybody. It'll affect your children. It'll affect your relationships with your family. It'll affect your church. It'll affect everybody. And it began to affect even good people who were followers of Jesus as well as those who were not. Sometimes life will deal us a bad hand. Some of you gotten a bad hand. There were people who were hungry and they were desperate and they were good people. Some of them were good families with children and they couldn't feed each other. They couldn't feed their children. It was a really bad period of history on earth. All the government officials and leaders who thought they had the right ideas, they started to be mobbed by all the people who were so desperate in the streets. 
it sounds a lot like our world today. There are a lot of places today where we put our trust in somebody else, the wrong people, the government, or some kind of system, and it doesn't work. And God says, okay, then I'll, I'll let you try that. And sometimes in our own life, we've become desperate because of our choices and decisions in desperate times. Trying to hold things together, trying to figure out what can we do. And this was one of those periods of history. I just Googled 1972, and I wanted to go back and find out what it looked like in 1972, because 1972, Connie and I got married. We've been married 51 years. So in 1972, dear, our first year that we were married, the threshold for poverty in America was about $4,000 for four people. And we made $4,000 in the military. That was our total income that year. I was a PV-1 in the U.S. Army, ended up in Fort Bliss, Texas, El Paso, Texas. And uh, that poverty threshold was about 4000 bucks. That's about where we were living, 1972. I also Googled 2023. In 2023, the threshold for a family with four, poverty threshold is now about $30,000. You're making, and I am too, a lot more money. It doesn't go very far. There are a lot of you still desperate. Connie and I were really tight. And I mean tight on a budget. We had no extra pennies. I couldn't even buy a hammer at the hardware store. Seriously. It was short. Short money, short change. Billy and Shirley sent us a check for Christmas. A gift. Connie's mom and dad. We had a dog inside. The dog ate the check. <laughs> Broke our heart. Seriously. Broke our heart. The dog ate the check. They sent another. <laughs> Grace and mercy sometimes does appear. We cried. We were desperate. Some of you have really had, you've been dealt a bad hand. You got too much debt. You bought too many things on credit. The average credit card right now is 20% interest. If you buy something today and you buy it on credit, you just paid 20% more than whatever the sales price was. That's pretty high. Some of you got yourselves in a pickle because of your money and your indebtedness. It happens. We're all just people. And I'm just telling you guys that this is kind of the picture of the Bible and we all need to find hope again. And I'm trying to describe to you that this is not the first time that it happened in the early church too. And so some of these people got a warning, but they didn't take the warning in time. There's a famine coming. You might ought to save a few biscuits. You might ought to save a few burgers or a little bit of bologna. You ought to stash something away because there's some kind of really bad famine coming. Nobody, nobody wanted to listen or tried to listen. And so it really did create quite a struggle. Even if you had saved food, it was a desperate time for most people, good and bad people like. Here's the second point. Maybe, you've, maybe you have been dealt a bad hand. Don't despair. Good days may return. Good news. God is with us. God is seldom, God is seldom early. He's never late. God is seldom early, but he's never late in my life and your life. Say amen. He knows, he knows, he knows. So here's the second idea. Hope is never lost. You might have got a bad hand and a bad deal. Hope is never lost. Help is on the way. Look at verse 29, 20, 29 30. 
This is who Journey tries to be, and this is who I hope you'll try to be. And this is who I was trying to be at the car rental place with a lady from Vermont who had two boys that were about to kill each other. I tried to bring her a little hope. I didn't know her, but I knew that she was a person that was feeling kind of desperate at the moment, and I was trying to help in some way. That's what we try to do if you follow Jesus. Try to find somebody that you can help who's lost hope. Verse 29, the disciples, each according to his ability, get that. Everybody's got something you can do. If nothing else, open the doors, say, I'm sorry, smile, look at somebody eye to eye, put your phone down, stop texting when somebody's trying to talk to you. Everybody can do something to bring a little hope. Hope is never lost. Help is on the way. You be that person who's willing to go the extra mile. You decide. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. You might be surprised at the kind of help that God provides for you. Did you catch this little caveat in this short verse about Antioch, the new church plant, like Journey Church, who never makes a budget? I told the church last night, and I tell you the honest to goodness truth. For the last 10 years, we have not made a weekly, monthly, annual budget for the last 10 years. We're about $500 a week short every single week. I don't need just one gift at Easter. I don't need just a Christmas gift and when you get your income tax back. I mean, I need consistent gifts every week that will add up to little gifts or big gifts. We're short about $500 every single week for the last 10 years. God takes two fish, five loaves, and somehow we give away everything. We still do. Somehow it happens. But everybody should and could do something. You may not have $500 a week, but you probably got $5 a week. Put it in the bucket every single week. If you got five bucks, put it in there. Do something. And that's what these guys did. And the crazy thing is that the little church at Antioch that was the new church like the church plant that Journey Church is that doesn't have a building. Most churches have a building. Most churches don't meet next door to AutoZone. Most churches aren't short $500 a week every week in their budget, and they can't ever make a budget for 10 years. Most churches aren't like this, but Antioch was because it was a new church plant. They didn't have any savings. They didn't have any kind of trust fund. They didn't have any kind of bonus money. It was just what it was. And this little small church began to gather their resources when they heard about the church, the big mother church that started them in Jerusalem, the mega church like Southland and Lexington. It was a big church, Acts chapter 2, that began to plant all these little churches because they all had to scatter because of the persecution. 
Nobody stayed in Jerusalem except the leaders. And they had this great big place that 5,000 and then 10,000 people, they were all gathering in Jerusalem. They had a great gathering until people started to die because they said, I follow Jesus. And then they all had to scatter everywhere. And everywhere they went, they planted another church because of persecution. And those little churches were the most generous churches. The little churches began to look at the big mother church that had started all these little tiny churches and they said, let's take up an offering. Let's give a gift to the mother church because don't you know if you had 10,000 people in the big church and everybody left, you got a big electric bill coming. You got a big water bill coming. If you ain't got but a dozen apostles or church leaders left in a place that used to have thousands, you're in trouble. And they were all in trouble, even the big church, the mother church. And so the little baby church like us that did the best they could, the little engine that could, they gathered their resources and they sent back this financial gift to the mega church, the mother church, to help support whatever way they could. And Journey's giving away cars. We've given away about seven cars to people that don't have a car. They've got a job. They didn't ask for a car. They didn't even know that we were watching them. But they were walking to work. They were catching rides to work. They were doing whatever they could to get to their job. And somehow we identified them that God helped us somehow give them a car that cost two, three, four, five thousand dollars. And we put we put people in cars that didn't have cars. We put people in houses. Brian and Bridget live in one of those houses. Tyler and Courtney live in one of those houses. We built houses like habitat houses. Houses that people couldn't go to the bank and borrow money. We built seven, eight, nine of those in the last 10, 15 years. Through an organization, a nonprofit called Cha Cha. We started a free medical clinic about 15, 16 years ago for people that didn't have any insurance before Obamacare. We've done whatever we could. Even though we're the little bitty church, we've tried to make a difference, build community in our community, give people hope who are hopeless, and we've tried to level the playing field that at the foot of the cross, everybody is equal. Say amen. We loved everybody, and we love you. You come in here, and you may not have brand new clothes, and you may not have any car to drive home. We'll still love you the best we can. Or you might have several cars. We'll love you too. And so only the church leaders, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Stephen is martyred, chapter 7, chapter 8. Everybody ran for the life. They emptied, they emptied the building. It was a difficult time. The church was under persecution. The big church was in trouble too. And sometimes the unthinkable happens when life's dealt us a, bit, a bad hand. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe somebody came along and encouraged you, smiled, tried to help you in some way, giving generously somehow their time, their talent, their treasure, somehow trying to show you that we're all in this together. It's okay not, it's okay to be okay, just don't stay. It's okay not to be okay, just don't stay that way. So try your best to look for opportunities to build momentum in the church that Jesus started. Sometimes I... I don't want you to misunderstand me. We're not any better than anybody else at Journey Church. We're not the only church. There's lots of good churches in our community. 
But let me tell you about this and what I've learned the last 16 and a half years about being a church like this that never makes budget. I served in a church that had a big budget and had a big building and had a lot of savings and had a lot of money and a lot of millionaires in Midland, Texas. I, I worked in a church where George Bush, that was his hometown, President George Bush. I served with a lot of wealthy people. And I looked around and I watched and thought to myself, sometimes people who are in the biggest churches, not our church in Midland, but there were churches, sometimes people who have the most opportunity, they hoard everything they've got. They, kept it, they keep it for themselves, their resources. It's a wrong idea. If you have resources that you can share, you should share them. You should share them at Journey, and you should share them everywhere else that you can. And if you're on the short end of the economic ability, then you should trust God to provide whatever it is that you're short and do your best with what you have. God will find you too. Do what you can. Make a difference with someone. Find someone like the lady I found at the rental car place making her day a little better. Journey is never going to be the church that pays utilities or rent because that's, that's a chronic problem that we can't fix. We can guide them to community action. We'll guide you to places that they have regular uh, resources for those kind of things, but we try to do things nobody else is doing. We try to find a niche like the medical clinic or building houses or helping someone find transportation or maybe the tide jug that's a one-time gift that we help somebody with. We'll try to do something like that, and we still do, and we're good at that, and God has helped us do that because we're all in this together trying to give other people hope again who become really desperate and sometimes it happens to everyone, even people who are good people. So I'm describing to you how we can continue momentum in our world even when everything seems to be broken and there's lots of bad news. We live in an age sometimes where the unthinkable does happen. And so if you've been dealt a bad hand, don't give up. God is still working on it. Help may, is coming, and sometimes it may be coming in a way that you never imagined. One other little reminder and I've never gotten very far with this, but we sure do care. There's six kids on that wall back there that we have adopted ever since Journey started. We have six kids that live in other countries of the world with Compassion International. And we are sending them money every month for those six kids to have food and clothing and shelter and Bible instruction. Two of the kids that we started with 16 and a half years ago have aged out. They're past the age of 18. And so they gave us two more kids that we took and put on that board. Many of you walk down that hall to that, rest, to that restroom or you walk out of the building and you don't even read that or notice that. But if you can help us in any way put an extra gift at any time in our offering for six kids that you'll never meet but live in other countries that we have adopted, it will make an impact. It'll help us. We're never going to stop doing that. Even if you don't put a nickel in the bucket, we'll find some way that God's going to provide. But I'm inviting you to get more engaged to help us help other people. When you take the focus off of you and your finances and what you're trying to accomplish and you look at other people who have less, God will bless you even more. You will end up with more peace, more benefits, more honor than you could ever discover. So... 
help us bless other people, people that we've never met through the Tide Jug or Warehouse Ministry or whatever it is that we can do at Thanksgiving with a man bucket or anything else that we, whatever project that you hear us doing, it's because we feel God has led us to be a different kind of church in a specific way. So we're not going to duplicate what somebody else does better, but we'll try to find what nobody else is doing to reach people that nobody else is reaching. Here's the bottom line. Write this down. You really are the difference maker that God has. There's not another plan. There's nobody else coming to the rescue. You really are the one that God has chosen, whoever you are. There are 2,500 verses in the Bible that call us to help the poor, the sick, and the hungry. 2,500 verses that tell Jesus' followers to care about the poor, the sick, and the hungry. God set it up that way. So if you don't know what to do, that's a pretty good place to start. Just look for somebody else who might not be as well off as you are, live in a house that's as nice as yours or wear clothes as nice as yours or drive a car or truck as nice as yours. Start with the poor, the sick, and the hungry and try to make an impact. Say amen. Just shake their hand if nothing else. Acknowledge that they're alive and that they're a human being. Try that. That's what Jesus would do. Help somebody nearby when you can. You guys get the communion, and we're going to serve communion, and I'm going to read a verse of Scripture here. And if you guys are with us online, grab something. It could be juice. It could be water. It could be a piece of biscuit or bread. We'll pass you the cup. There's two cups in the audience. The crackers on the bottom. Juice is on top. Let me read this passage in Acts chapter 2 about the early first century church. And how they really, uh, they had momentum, they lost momentum, and then they got momentum back again. So if you've lost a little momentum in your spiritual life, <laughs> okay, grab your cup, because I want you to hear this. Go ahead and grab your cup. Before you s swig it down. You know what? Our life, our Christian life is not static. It's not like, okay, I made it. I've arrived. We're never going to arrive till you get to heaven. You're never going to achieve what you wanted to achieve until you get to heaven. And there are some of us in the room right now, and some of us online, who have given up. We, we've let go of the hope and trust that we once had that we believed God could straighten things out. And I, and I want you to turn it around. I want you to have a turnaround moment this morning. And I can't do it because I, I have no power to do that. But the one that I am speaking on behalf of today, he can. God can and Jesus can and the Holy Spirit can and the Bible can. I'm telling you guys, if, if you are that person who has been dealt a bad hand and you're needing a little help, and maybe you were the one that was giving someone else help, but you just give up because you need it yourself, he's nearby. God is nearby. Put the cracker in your mouth. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we just did. I talked to you about what the early church was teaching about Jesus. 
to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. That's what we're about to do, the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs. You need a miracle, God can do it again. You need a turnaround moment, God can turn things around. Miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. We shared everything. The church, the early church, shared everything. Those who had a whole lot shared with people who had very little. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate meals together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church grew. And momentum took off again. Let's pray. God help the little journey church. We're a handful most days. We don't have enough of anything. But then we've got everything we need because we have you. We've got each other and we've got you. And we have your grace and mercy and forgiveness that you've given us because of the cross. May we find peace again, peace of mind, peace in our families, and may we share that peace with one another. May we let it go, the grudge that we had, the bitterness that we felt. May we drop it right now, all of it at the foot of the cross, all the questions, all the doubts, all the anger, all the emotions that just stir up trouble. Will we just let it go? Will you take it from us? at the foot of the cross. Will you lift us and our faces to heaven that we might have joy again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Drop your little cups in the basket and drop whatever your $5, $50, $500 gift is in the basket. Put your other pocket change in the Tide jug and let's make a difference. Let's continue to bring hope to people who feel hopeless. It's never over. Let's keep momentum going in our community as we build community. Thank you, guys.